<clears throat> if you um, will turn with me this morning to Revelation 3.14, we will take uh, some time and, and cover the church of Laodicea. <clears throat> the church of Laodicea. And I'm going to pray once again briefly. Um, Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would bless us, that the Holy Spirit would illuminate your word to us, help us to understand its meaning. We pray that he would convict us of sin and guide us into the path of everlasting. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've covered quite a bit in Revelation 2. We covered six churches so far. Um, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, Christ's letter to the church whose love had faded. In chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, we covered Smyrna, and this was the church who was suffering. Many would die, but they wouldn't really die because of Christ and his promise of life after death. The church of Pergamum in chapter 12, I'm sorry, in chapter 2, verses 12 through 17, was a church that was very worldly. In need of repent. The church of Thyatira, verses 18 through 29, a church that was excessively tolerant and in in many ways, um, you might even say, just not even uh, confessing the truth of the gospel in Christ. They had a lot of work to do. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, we see his letter to a church that is dying, and that is Sardis. Last week, we covered verses 7 through 13 of chapter 3, the church of Philadelphia, and this is a church that was favored greatly by our Lord, and and we see that in in so many ways that he has no reproof for them, and they were doing many things right. Consider this, my friends. You're you're in a church just like our church, and, and we get this letter from Jesus, and he points out things that we are doing right and correctly. It doesn't get any better than that. It doesn't get any better than that. How wonderful how, how incredible, how affirming can that be? But you know, there's not a lot of difference between these churches of the first century and us. And we remember that his letter to these first century Asia Minor churches has been the letter to the church of every time and age and every place. So this letter is to us. Um, I, I believe that Christ would say we are doing many things well. Um, but I also believe that we see some things that we could be doing better. today's lesson of the church of Laodicea, I I pray that God will will do some work in our hearts um, and help us to see how self-sufficient, how smugly self-satisfied we can truly be. So let's read the text together, beginning in verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. That literally is vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. 
I advise you to buy gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and open the, opens the door, I will come into him and I will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. How much is Jesus Christ worth? How much of one's life should be given to Jesus Christ? Your entire life. Because Jesus' worth is incredibly high. It's, it's so high we, we can't even begin to attain unto a knowledge of what it may be. And the word of God tells us again and again that God hates half-heartedness or lukewarmness towards himself, toward him. He despises half-hearted, lukewarm Christians, churches, ministries, etc. It's important for us to see that, that Jesus, our Heavenly Father and our Holy Spirit, they hate half-hearted worship. They, they, they despise the sort of person that we often talk about from our pulpit and amongst ourselves that sort of just goes to church in a nominal fashion in order to be part of a community or a group of people that looks good on the outside but inwardly is unchanged. Uh, to, to be this is to be a Pharisee. To be a faker. What's interesting to me is throughout all of scripture, we see lots and lots of people who are half-hearted and lukewarm. You could start with Adam and Eve. They heard the the lie of deception from, from the evil one who told them that they will actually become gods if they take of the fruit. And, and, and they were tempted so much that they believed him enough to take the fruit and, and die. They, they were drawn away by their own lusts, away from God who had created them and given them everything. And so they fell. Saul was a half-hearted man. Judas was a half-hearted man. James is so clear on something that's very similar to what Jesus says in the passage that I just read. In chapter 4, verse 6, God is opposed to the proud. He's opposed to the proud. In fact, if we were to have a discussion about Satan and his fall and Adam and Eve and and their fall as a result of, of Satan's temptation and fall, I think we could probably boil it down to say that that arrogance was one of the prime temptations and 
than sin that they all followed. They thought that they were better than God or knew better than God. And they were smugly satisfied with their own, with with themselves. And, and, And truly in the case of Satan, wanting to stand in the place of God. Jesus' instructions are very, very clear in the Gospel of Matthew, and we see them similarly in the synoptics as well, the other synoptics. But Matthew 16, 24 and following, Jesus says to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The the taking of the cross is is a death to self. It's saying that I'm not righteous enough to inherit heaven. I'm not good enough to follow Jesus on my own. I don't have the strength, the power, the grace, the truth that's necessary to do this. Jesus says further, he says, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 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 It sounds like a divine paradox, doesn't it? If you lose yourself, you're able to set aside your entire self and pour your whole life, your whole heart into Christ, you're, you're not going to lose your life. You're actually going to find your life in Christ, says Jesus. He says, what will a profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul? You can gain all of the money, all of the power, all of the things in this world, the greatest militaries, the greatest navies, <laughs> the greatest mutual funds, the greatest strength, but you will lose your soul. On the other hand, he says, what will, <clears throat> for the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Let me repeat myself. On the other hand, in Jesus, his promise is that we will inherit everything. And the, the message there in Matthew 16 reminds me so much of this message in Laodicea. We have uh, Christ, the, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation, uh, saying, I see your deeds, I know them, I'm disgusted with them. But he doesn't just give up on them. Our tendency is, is to what? Is, we have a tendency to sort of write people off, don't we? Not Jesus. You know, we've been going through these warning sections in Hebrews, and even the author of Hebrews, um, God wrote Hebrews through this man with his, his style, but he's never giving up on the people. He's never, he never says to them, well, fine, just keep, keep going your way, your path, and just die and go to hell. He never does that. He, he lays out the warnings and says, if you continue on this path, there is no hope for you apart from Christ. But what is he calling them to do? But, but we believe better things about you, brothers, he says. And I see the Spirit of Christ doing that through the author of Hebrews, and Christ himself doing the similar thing here in his message to Laodicea. Notice what he says in verse 18. This is, you know, first he shares his disgust, verses 14 through 17. And then verse 18, we see a transition. He's like, I'm not giving up on you. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich. And white garments so that you may clothe yourself. 
and the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Notice, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, what does he say? Be zealous and repent. And I'm standing here at the door and knocking. I'm no longer in your midst. You've removed me from the church, so I'm standing at the door knocking, persistently knocking. (laughs) So this Laodicean church had ignored Jesus. They seemed to get by just fine without him. The final letter from Christ to the seven churches of Asia Minor is, is written to this one which he refers to as a lukewarm church. They were located about 40 miles southeast of Philadelphia. Um, Laodicea was the biggest city in the southern region of what was called Phrygia. And Laodicea was a community that was known for several things. This will help you see why they became smugly self-reliant. One of the things that they were known for was a school of medicine that specialized in eye diseases. They were also known for their wool. This wool was soft and black, and it would be woven into all sorts of different clothings, most of them expensive and extravagant that would really only be worn by the rich and wealthy Um, many of the citizens, perhaps most of the citizens of the city, were upper class. It's very well known that Laodicea was a banking and finance community. Um, This city had so much money that in AD 60, there was an earthquake that happened, destroyed a lot of the city, And Rome, the the government, you you might say it was like the federal government, comes to them to offer emergency assistance and funds. Do you know what Laodicea did? They said, no, thank you. We're good. We've got plenty of money and plenty of resources to rebuild our own town and community So we're not interested in what you want to offer. The people, they honestly didn't believe they needed help from anyone else. They didn't need help from the government. They didn't need anyone from the outside coming in to assist them. They were pretty good at being independent and taking care of everything on their own. And and what is so tragic here for these Laodicean believers is this attitude of the culture had permeated the church. If you haven't noticed that as a a common theme in this book of Revelation so far, please take note of it. It's called syncretism. And we'll see the culture of of the world seeping into the church in, in different ways. You know, and I don't need to go into any ways in which We're seeing that right now. Just think about that a little bit and consider that. But it does happen, and we need to be aware of it. So they were were self-sufficient. Notice verse 17. Jesus says, because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy, and I have need of nothing. 
But they, they, they were the ones who were perhaps in the greatest need. Notice what he says next in verse 17. You do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Although Laodicea had much wealth, this great textile industry with making woolen clothing and fabulous medicine and eye doctors, they didn't have a local water source. If you think about this, it's actually kind of funny. God always puts something in there to, to show how we fall short. They didn't have a local water source, so what they had to do is they would pipe in water from, from neighboring communities. That's where this concept of neither cold nor hot most likely comes in. Well, friends... Nothing dishonors Christ more in the eyes of the world than a self-satisfied church. Such a congregation preached the gospel of grace to needy sinners, but acts as if it has no guilt of its own for Christ's blood to cover. It calls people to pray for salvation, but cannot rouse itself to come to a prayer meeting to cry out for divine mercies. A self-satisfied church is living in contradiction to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I quote there from Joel Beakey. There are two two main ideas I'd like to set forth for you. We've already hinted at them and explained them a bit. The first is Christ was repulsed at them, verses 14 through 17. I'm sorry, 14 through 17. Christ was repulsed at them. He presents himself much like he does in the other letters um, in in ways that are true to who he is according to his nature and attributes. Um, The amen, that's he's speaking of himself. Um, The faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation of God says this. Jesus is the amen is, is simply stating that Jesus is truth. He is the ultimate truth. He is infinitely reliable. Does that make sense? There's no end to his reliability. Um, He's also the faithful witness. And this is saying something that that is very similar to the amen. But what what it shows us is what he says of this church is absolutely sure and perfect in, in every way. He cannot be an unreliable witness. No, everything he says is good. Further, he's the beginning of creation. Now, this reminds us of John chapter 1, right? It speaks of Christ creating all of the heavens and the earth, even Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1 and other passages. Um, but he's not just speaking here of the beginning of the creation of God. It's not that he just was the one who began it, but beginning meaning that he was the first cause of creation, the, the first mover, if you will. So, take all of this into consideration to say that the one is about to speak these things, that there is no being higher, no one more powerful, no one more truthful, absolutely truthful than Jesus Christ. He is completely 
and at times brutally honest. So when he says that the Laodicean church is lukewarm, <laughs> he, he really means it. And, and what he means is the Laodiceans, they're as bad as their water is. Well, let's talk about this for just a minute. They had water sources that would come in. Uh, one from a community called Hierapolis that was known for its boiling hot water springs. And the water would flow through an aqueduct on its way over to Laodicea. But once it got to Laodicea, after having passed through several miles of this pipe, it was no longer hot. It was, it was tepid. And as such, it is, it is just to say what uh, the, my daughter would say, it's yucky, <laughs> it's good for nothing, it's disgusting. Christ says that it is, it's not worthy to be drink, drank or used, it actually induces vomiting. This is how disgusting this water was, and how disgusting he was referring to Laodicea. Now what's interesting for, for this whole thing is you take into consideration Laodicea with, with the other churches. And I mean, the other churches were given to open immorality. Um, it, it even said that it was being taught from the front, um, given over to some really serious heretical error and problems. I, I mean, so much so, folks. People who believe these things and teach these things, they do not know Jesus. They do not have heaven as their home. And here we get to Laodicea. Not much is said about their doctrine, but everything is said about their practice. You guys are a bunch of fakers, and you make me want to puke, is, is what he's saying. So let's, let's bring this a little closer to home before we get further into his description here. And let, let's be honest with ourselves. Every one of these descriptions of the church describes every one of us in one way or form. Each of us is given to self-sufficiency and, and to be satisfied with ourselves. Um, it's probably one thing to do that if you're building a deck off the back of your house or something like that. But when it comes to the church and we begin to congratulate ourselves because of the funds that have come in, because of the number of uh, people that are seated in the pews and because of the number of years that, that we have existed as a church, we hence become the Laodicean church. And when we as Christians speak more of ourselves and our own accomplishments and what we've done and look condescendingly on other people, even the lost, we have become the Laodicean church. See, in the eyes of the Laodicean church, they were insulated from suffering because of their wealth. Does that sound familiar to you? So notice what he does. He, he, he's, he set it forth. They're repugnant. I, I puke you out of my mouth, just like your water. But he doesn't say, I'm done with you. You guys are going to hell. I don't know you. Get away from me. What does he do? He doesn't give up on these guys. And th this part here, to me, it, it speaks volumes of the grace and compassion of our Lord. 
And to me, it's, it, it really, it's heartbreaking. Because I see us as a church that is, that is imperfect. And often we forget about Christ and we get wrapped up with ourselves. But he hasn't forgotten about us. He will hold us fast. He is holding us fast. So he's not giving up on them. Notice what he says. Verse 18. Now, now this is, would be the repentance, the root of repentance. I advise you to buy gold from me, refined by fire, so that you may become rich. And white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. He uses three uh, really word pictures here to describe the wealth of himself and the gospel. The first is, you, you, you come to me and buy gold for yourselves. The riches of the grace and love of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Far more valuable than the most precious stones or metals. Uh, the next, white garments. Now, this is interesting. Finance, banking community, <laughs> don't look to your own dollars. Look to me. Get, get dollars from me, is what he's saying. White garments. So don't look to your own fine wool textiles. Look to me for your clothing. I will give you justification. White raiments. Yes, you're repugnant, but you can be clean in me. And I will clothe you with the most beautiful of garments and make you presentable to the Father in the end. Furthermore, he speaks of the ISAV, a community given to their eye medicines. But here, he's not speaking of a, of a literal ISAV. Remember I said these are word pictures, imagery. But here it is. When the Holy Spirit comes upon a person, and that person is made alive, he begins to see himself as he truly is, right? And he begins to see God as he truly is. And so the, the, the spiritual blindness, the not, not realizing that one is lukewarm, not realizing that one is poor and blind and naked, all of that seems to go away when the Holy Spirit comes upon a person. Now notice, notice the, the comparison and contrast with verse 17 and 18. I want you to see this because it's important. Um, you, you have the wretched and miserable and poor. He's, he's speaking spiritually. But, but then you don't need to be that way. You can buy this gold from me. You have the blind. He's offering ISAV so that they can, they can see. Uh, you have the naked, but they'll no longer be naked if they will take his white raiment, his white garment. Um, this passage is uh, similar to one in Isaiah. We don't have time to turn there, but Isaiah 55, the call goes forth, buy from me your milk and all of your goods. So we have this picture of our Lord who is standing and waiting for us and calling out to us, come to me. It does remind us of Matthew 11. Come for rest, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Um, well, we notice he comes into verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. I wouldn't be saying these things to you guys if I didn't love you, this is what he's saying. Um, verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will dine with him and he with me. Christ will not give up on them. Christ will not give up on us. No matter how bad it has gotten inside of the church, no matter how much we have ignored Christ and have forced him to the fray or even outside of the church, he will not leave us. Now, friends, it's very possible for us to ignore Jesus in our personal life. It's very possible for us to ignore Jesus in our Sunday school lessons, to ignore him in the pulpit, to ignore him in the worshiping and song, to ignore him in fellowship, and so on and so forth. It's possible to do that, and evidently this church had done that. And so much so, they literally, I mean spiritually, had removed Jesus from their midst. It was their fault, it wasn't his. Now you notice this verse here, that's very popular. (laughs) He stands at the door and knocks. Remember, he is talking to his bride, his church. And he is he is persistent. And, and you remember last week we talked about this open door, right? This open door that, that seems to uh, perhaps be shut right now to the Laodiceans. But he's saying, if you will, will humble yourselves and come to me, I will open the door. I will come in to the church. I will once again be in the midst of the church like I was before. And we will enjoy that sweet fellowship like we once had. But he's saying, you guys need to repent in faith. You need to realize your ways and and come to me. Furthermore, he he says... uh, Something that he said to every other church, he who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. Jesus has already overcome the triumph of the lamb. He has overcome and we overcome in him. He says, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on this throne. And 22 fits really well with the ISAV, right? He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Pray that God will open our eyes to see. We pray that God will open our ears to hear. So let's take a pause right here. Any any thoughts or questions? Well, this is I just listen to this. It actually is uh, so uh, harsh to even toward what happens in John seven. Um, just mm-hmm. how, how Christ is going to, his, his commitment to fulfilling the Father's will and his persistence in proclaiming the gospel, the invitation to come. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just beautiful mm-hmm. um, because he doesn't write people off. Like mm-hmm. you're saying, it's just a constant. Um, just, yeah, <laughs> just a great encouragement. Praise God. Yeah. 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 Anybody else? Thoughts? Questions? Well, if you allow me another moment, I printed off some of what um, a pastor said in his words on Revelation that I just wanted to share with you. 
He says, how can we bring Christ back to the church as in Laodicea? He is not in the preaching nor in our prayer meetings and not with us when we read our Bibles and pray. Here are some suggestions. Number one, face up to your conditions. Or face up to your condition. The Laodiceans did not see eye to eye with Christ concerning what they had done. He says, I know your works. And says Jesus, the amen, the truth of God, the faithful and true witness. But you don't. We have to be honest. We have to ask God to give us honest eyes to see ourselves. Ask our friends. Ask your wife. Whoever. Number two, again, this idea of how, how, do we, how do we repent and by faith get back to where we need to be with Christ. Return to the fundamentals of the gospel. Um, Christ says to the church here, I, I, I tell you to buy gold from me, refined by fire, pure gold, and white garments, and I salve. Um, number three, submit to his discipline. Um, he says, those who he loves, he corrects, he reproves, he disciplines. And often, friends, we will hear the voice of Christ. And he will be knocking on the doors of our hearts when, when we're involved in things that are making us half-hearted and lukewarm. There's no escape in his reproval. And, and when you read the word, it's, it seems to be all over the place. This is why it's so important that we're taking in the word every day, hearing the voice of God. It, it is like an insulation or a protection from the things that will pull us down. Number four, and then there's several others. I'll just stop here. But be zealous for Christ. Um, he says, be zealous and, and repent. We're to be known as Christians who are full on for Jesus, not in some emotional, fanatical way, but according to truth, according to good theology. Um, This is something that God and his sovereignty can do, this zealousness, but it is also something for which you and I are responsible. We lose our zeal by our folly and wrongdoing, but repentance will rekindle it. Friends, that's all I have for us this morning. Um, Why don't we bow for prayer and then we will get ourselves ready for our worship service. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the time we could have in Revelation this morning.